As we enter the 21st and final chapter of John's Gospel today, we're going to see how Jesus came to the disciples for a third time. You might say, this is his fourth appearing. Yes, it is. But this is the third time he came to a group of his disciples, a number of his disciples, after his resurrection. And there are some interesting lessons here. Lessons for those disciples then. Lessons for disciples gathered here, disciples of Jesus Christ gathered here together today. There are some interesting lessons for us. I wonder if you ever felt like you've not measured up to God's standard. If you've ever felt like you've failed the Lord, I, I can identify with that if you feel that way. In fact, if you're like me, you feel like that often. Because you realize what a, what a sinless God you serve and what a righteous God you serve and how sinful and unrighteous you are and I am, right? And yet God is gracious and, and Jesus demonstrates that in the text today as he appears to his disciples one more time. There are, there are lessons here that, that show the love of, of Christ, the care of Christ for his followers. For his disciples, there are lessons here which show us the diversity of Jesus' disciples and how God uses us even though we are all very different. Wonderful lessons that we can learn by and live by. I hope you'll follow along and pay close attention to the truth of God's word this morning as we read it together. Look at chapter 21 as I read. After this... Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the nut on the, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And verse 9 says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. In our last study, we saw how Jesus appeared to the disciples, and especially we, we noted how it was likely for Thomas' benefit that he appeared, and we saw him turn from doubting Thomas to believing Thomas, right? Can you help me think of Thomas in that way? I think it's good for us to think of Thomas in that way because we see him. He goes from doubt to belief. He goes from lack of faith to faith. And 
And that's where we need to be, right? And, of course, that was a wonderful and precious lesson from the Lord last week. Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. But it came after he touched the nail scars in Jesus' hands and the, and the scar in his side that he said, My Lord and my God, what precious words. But thankfully, John wasn't finished. We might have come to the end of chapter 20 and said that was a good ending to the Gospel of John. But that wasn't the end. John wasn't finished. Because we enter chapter 21 and we find an encounter with the disciples once again and especially for the benefit of Peter. And we get a glimpse of how his faith has also changed. Remember that when Jesus was taken, Peter began denying Christ. Jesus warned him. You will deny me. You say you'll go with me to death, but you will deny me. No doubt Jesus and Peter had spoken before this occasion, likely about Peter's denial. We don't know that for sure, but we know that Peter had seen Jesus before this. Nowhere do we find, though, that Jesus scolded Peter. Nowhere do we find that Jesus was harsh with Peter for his denials. Jesus had likely privately restored Peter to fellowship with himself before this account in chapter 21, but now we see he's going to publicly restore Peter to fellowship. Peter had publicly denied Christ, and Jesus was going to go out of his way to publicly restore him. And what a precious example from Jesus we have here. We see here a third appearance of Jesus to the disciples. This time it seems he's shown himself to the disciples for the purpose of equipping and encouraging them, not only the disciples as a group, but especially Peter, because Peter is called out here and mentioned several times in this 21st chapter. It's about restoration of Peter from denial to faith, from disobedience to obedience. And we begin to get a glimpse of this restoration in these early verses of chapter 21, but we're especially going to see it in the remainder of chapter 21. And like I said, Lord willing, next Sunday. But look at verse 1 again. Verse 1 says, after this, which is after the appearance of Jesus to the disciples and Thomas. We don't know how much later or how much after. It wasn't likely immediately after because it appears that some time has passed, though we don't know how much. The context here suggests that some time has passed because we see Peter and several others have gone out to fish. Now, fishing is, after all, how many of them had provided for themselves before. That is, before Jesus called them from their fishing for fish to fishing for men, right? Now they're out on the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee, and they are near Galilee, and this makes sense since we learn from Mark's gospel and the other gospels that Jesus had had told them that he was going to meet them in Galilee. And so they've gone to Galilee, and they're waiting for Jesus. Mark 16, 7 is, uh, is where we find one of these mentions of this. But go tell his disciples, and I think it's interesting here it says, and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Mark 16, 7. But why are they out fishing? Aren't they waiting for Jesus? Weren't they on orders? (laughs) I think it's possible that while they were waiting for the Lord, with time on their hands, Peter, you know how Peter is, impetuous, anxious, 
He's probably got the restless leg syndrome kind of thing going on. He can't sit still. Peter wanted to pass the time, and what is it he's going to do but fish, right? I mean, he's a fisherman. And they needed to provide for themselves, and obviously they're not wealthy, so Peter heads out to do something he knows how to do, and and the others follow him, some of them also professional fishermen. They go out to catch fish, but there's just a little problem. And you saw it in the text, right? They stayed all night. John tells us here they spend the night fishing, and they catch what? Nothing. Zero. So much for being professionals, right? What's the trouble? Well, the trouble is that Jesus had sent word for them to wait for him in Galilee, that he would meet them there, that he was going on ahead of them. And they had gone to meet him there. And now they're getting impatient. And so they go out on their own to do something, to go fishing. Certainly they had to eat. But this isn't one of these incidents that shows a spirit-empowered group of believers, is it? They seem to be anything but that. They're waiting, but they're not quite doing anything yet. And so they go out to do the thing they know. We noted it last time in chapter 20 that the disciples, and there's reason for this, this seemingly disjointedness in their actions. We saw it last time in chapter 20, the disciples And I told you then that I don't think that Jesus had given them the Holy Spirit then because it didn't change them. When he, when he breathed on them and said, take the Holy Spirit, he was, he was pointing to them that where their power would come from when they did have the Holy Spirit. I believe they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost with the other believers there. D.A. Carson writes, There is a certain eagerness for the risen Jesus, still strangely halting as the reality of Jesus' resurrection is still sinking in. But most emphatically, this is not the portrait of believers who have received the promised paraclete. There is neither joy nor the assurance, not to mention the sense of mission and the spirit of unity that characterize the church when freshly endowed with the promised Spirit. They are coming to grips with the resurrection, but they still have not learned the profound truth that apart from Christ, they can do nothing. Remember back in chapter 15 and verse 5, so that so, uh, apart from you can do nothing, Jesus says. So D.A. Carson points out, so that night they caught nothing. So here are a few of Jesus' disciples, and for the first time in three years they're without Christ to help and meet their needs, to provide for them, to show them the way, to tell them what to do next. Likely running through their minds were questions like we would have. What will we do next? How will we provide for ourselves? What are we to do now? Someone should tell us what to do. Peter, let's go fishing. But these questions won't remain after Pentecost. Because once the disciples are given the Holy Spirit, once they are empowered by God's indwelling presence, by way of the Holy Spirit, they are eager and they are joyful to carry out their mission, and they do so. So graciously, Jesus is about to answer the questions that they have now. We're told in verse 4 that just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It's possible they didn't recognize him because because of the distance from shore and the earliness of day and the lack of available light. 
But then Jesus speaks to them, right? And this so often happens when he speaks. People begin to recognize who he is after his resurrection, right? But this time they don't recognize his voice. He speaks. Verse 5 says, he called out to them, Children, do you have any fish? Now, it's not like Jesus was calling them little kids, okay? The idea here in the original language was like our calling out to friends, Hey, how are you guys doing? How are you doing, friends? It's a friendly greeting. And, of course, the answer to his question was an annoyed, I'm guessing, because they're professional fishermen who've caught no fish all night. They're probably annoyed, no. Smart Alec, we haven't caught any fish. Yes, we're professionals. They still don't know it's Jesus. That's why I can guess they were just a bit snarky, right? But he tells them, and we hear it in verse 6, cast the net on the right side. I'm sure they probably like, what? You mean, they're professional fishermen. You know, they'd have thought of that, right? Now, some have suggested that Jesus saw some activity in the water. He saw that there was a large school of fish there and was just helping them out 100 yards from shore, right? Hmm. Don't forget that Jesus was there at creation, okay? <laughs> Let's not forget Jesus created fish. <laughs> and he can make those fish appear wherever he wants them, whenever he wants them. And what happens when the disciples obey and cast their net on the other side is incredible. They're not able to haul it in, it says, because of the quantity of fish. And that was all John needed. He didn't recognize the voice, but he recognized a miracle when he saw one. And John was the first to realize who this is that's given them these fishing lessons, right? And he turns to Peter and he says, It's the Lord! And we see Peter's response is an interesting one, right? He actually puts on some clothes and jumps in the water. Now that seems backwards. Don't you take some clothes off before you jump in the water? It says he was stripped for work. Don't misunderstand. He wasn't naked. He had undergarments on, right? But he had the outer garments off so he could be more efficient as he worked. And I think it's interesting that he puts more clothes on before he goes to meet his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He'd rather be fully clothed than fully wet, right? He puts his clothes on. He jumps in the water. He cannot wait for the boat to get to shore. I think it's a precious picture of the heart that loves the Lord. Peter throws his clothes on quickly, you know, throwing his, throwing his outer garment on so he's decent. He jumps in the water. He goes to meet his Savior. There's a heart that has changed. This is not the Peter that denied Christ. He has changed. When they all got out on land and they could see that there was a charcoal fire there and on the fire there was fish and the Lord had also provided bread. And this charcoal fire is also not the first charcoal fire we've seen in John's Gospel. Do you remember the other one? Do you remember who was standing near that fire warming himself? Denying Christ? It was Peter. Now there's another charcoal fire. And standing by this one is Jesus himself. And he's providing a, a breakfast meal. A meal of fish and bread. How precious. How gracious of Jesus. 
to show such basic kind of provision, care, and love to those who've shown so little faith at times. I hope that all who have trusted in Christ this morning recognize the same grace of Christ toward themselves. Do you see that towards you? Do you see Jesus' grace towards you, his mercy towards you? And though, though you and I are often faithless, he is always faithful. He is always gracious. Well, he tells them to bring some of the fish that they've just caught. He doesn't have enough for them. He wants them to provide some of their own, which he also provided. And it's Peter who goes back to drag the, the net in, pulls in this large catch of fish from the boat, and the net is not torn, even though that there is a large catch of fish, 153. Some commentators over the decades have said there's something special going on with the number. I don't think so. I mean, these were professional fishermen, right? I mean, who wouldn't count how many fish you'd caught? I don't think there's any anything special about the number other than this. I think John is authenticating that this, this actually happened. He says 153 fish. I mean, we counted them. <laughs> this actually happened. Jesus was there. Besides, no self-respecting fisherman is not going to count the catch. So Jesus calls them around for breakfast, and John points out that they all, what they all know, they all know that, that this is the Lord. It, it has to be the Lord. But they seem to want to ask him if it's really him. Because he says none of the disciples dared ask him, yet they knew it was him. Now some have wondered whether Jesus' appearance has changed because of the brutal beating he took before he was crucified. We don't know. Nothing here that tells us. But I do think it says something about their faith. And though they've seen Jesus risen from the dead before this, and they see him now, and it's obvious this is the Lord. They're telling themselves, this is the Lord. But we really want to ask, are you the Lord? Can you identify with that? I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. How precious the scene John gives us here as he closes out this wonderful gospel. And what wonderful lessons for us here who place our faith in Christ. Have you placed your faith in Christ? If you have, there's some remarkable truths and challenges here from the text that I just want to point to. For one thing, we learn, as the disciples did on that day, that without Christ, we can do nothing. What are you trying to do in your own strength? What good thing are you trying to do? Because we might justify, well, I'm trying to serve the Lord as best I can with everything I have. I'm killing myself here. That's just what you'll hear me say tomorrow. Okay. Right? I mean, we all say that. We all find ourselves there. Don't we? We're giving everything we've got. But where's Christ? Are you depending on him? Do you realize you can't do anything without him? Oh, you can do things. You can do all kinds of things. You can make a mess of all kinds of things too, right? Again, I'm speaking from experience. We can really mess things up without his help. But if we want to honor him, if we want to glorify God, if we want to show our love for Christ, 
We will do what God sends us to do with His power in obedience to His Word. The disciples were learning the hard way once again. They fished all night. And Jesus shows up and says, on the other side, oh, okay, sure, wish we'd have thought of that. Oh no, God provides, doesn't He? We're going to see that too. These professional fishermen are hard workers and they're patient. You may be a hard worker and you may be patient. And that's good because you may find yourself waiting on the Lord as you serve Him. Maybe that's why Jesus chose so many fishermen to be His first disciples. Fishermen go out all night in search of catch if they need, need to. But now... They were to be fishers of men. They would need that same dedication and patience in fishing for men. Some of us know what it is to be patient, trying to share the gospel with those whom we love, wish they would give their heart and soul to Christ and receive forgiveness for sins and everlasting life, and and yet they won't. And we patiently try to live for Christ in front of them so that we might show them the joy of the Lord working in us, and share the gospel truths with them so that they might hear of Jesus Christ's goodness and grace and patiently, patiently share again and again and encourage and pray for and we wait. Without Christ, we can do nothing. The Lord calls us to faithful, diligent labor to share the good news of the gospel, but unless we have the Lord's help, our labors will be in vain. If you're serving only in your own strength, you're going to be wasted, (laughs) right? When you're done, you're going to feel wasted. But if you're serving in the strength of the Lord, don't get me wrong, you're going to be tired when you serve. You might be emotionally and mentally and spiritually fatigued, because you faithfully serve, but the joy of the Lord will be yours. Yes, we must work with all the energy we have for the sake of Christ and the good news, but it's with the Lord's help always as we trust in His Word and rest on His promises. Do you realize that God has made you so you need rest? Do you ever lay your head down at night and say, Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to sleep? Could you imagine how you would feel if the Lord did not allow you to sleep? It's a precious gift. We ought to take advantage of it. I'm not saying oversleep, but we ought not undersleep. We ought not underrest. We ought to rest because we can, because He's in control. You realize that? It's a precious thing to be able to rest knowing that God's got it. I can sleep because he doesn't. You might labor in in vain if you refuse to rest in the Lord and rest on his promises. Yes, work with all your energy, just as Paul writes, reminding us from where our strength comes to serve Christ. Colossians 1.29, for this I toil, says Paul. It's work serving the Lord. Don't be mistaken and think that being a Christian is going to be easy. For this I toil, struggling. And then I love where he goes next, because we need this reminder, with all 
his energy. That he powerfully works within me. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, when he writes, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Now that's proper perspective. <laughs> Lord, we're nothing. But use us, right? Because he goes on to say, but only God who gives the growth. You see, God chooses to use us for his glory. <laughs> and we ought to be thankful that he does. And willing to serve faithfully resting on his promises, knowing that only God gives the growth. You can't cause growth. I can't make you grow up. If I could, you'd be grown up, right? You can't make me grow up. Just as I say that, I think how immature that is to say that, <laughs> to tell you that you're not grown up. How dare I, right? But God's word tells us that. God's word tells us, grow up. In Christ, keep growing up in Christ. Keep loving the, the pure milk of the word, the bread that Christ gives you, the meat. Grow up in Christ. Keep growing up. I often think of it because we have so many people we pray for who have physical ailments. But this is one, one way we never stop Growing and maturing. We, we may have bodies that are falling apart, but spiritually we ought to be growing, growing, growing always in Christ. Trusting in His Word. Being obedient. Because God gives the growth. Precious. A precious truth I was challenged with this morning as our brother Dave Angus shared in Sunday school. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. God blesses those who are faithful. God honors those who honor Him. It's His strength in which you serve. And so it's the strength and energy of Christ that He works in those who trust in Him. Trust in His Spirit's work. Trust in His Word. And it's the Lord that gives the growth for all our labors. We are called to be faithful. And he gives the fruit. There's another lesson to take to heart here, and it's the fact of how different we all are. And yet the Lord uses all who trust in him. He uses all who trust in him for his glory. Now that is a remarkable truth and something I see as I see the differences in the way that John and Peter respond to the presence of Christ. I'm not the only one. There are other commentaries of whom I'm going to steal a quote here in just a moment. But this is something that encourages my heart. When John recognizes the Lord first, it's like John's got the, the Jesus radar on. And he recognizes Jesus first. And he says, it's the Lord Peter's the first one to jump in the water, right? The others come by boat. Being more responsible, we're bringing the fish that Jesus provided, right? Peter doesn't care. He's in the water. How different those two are, right? And I love this truth. It never fails to encourage me, partly because I, I realize, as odd as I am, God has a place for me. 
I hear you saying amen. As strange as I am, God has a place for me. As, as, a, as, as I have a hard time being faithful to him, he is gracious to give me a place to serve nonetheless. A place to grow up. A place to work. Labor for Christ. That's part of it. The other part is, is that as I look out on you today and I see people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, I know I know some of you love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and yet you are so different from each other. And that encourages me, actually. You know, I know sometimes we think, I wish we were all the same. It'd be a lot easier. No, it wouldn't. That is a blessing from God, that God has made you different. You see, God uses different for His glory. As long as your faith is in the Lord... As long as you seek to please Christ with your life, God is all about using you for His glory. As different as you and I are, and you and your neighbor is, we're all different, and yet the Lord has a place for each of us to serve Him. J.C. Ryle writes the following about the value of every believer and the diversity of gifts among believers and our attitudes toward one another because of our differences. And we need to be careful about that because sometimes our attitudes can really stink when it comes to how different we are, if you just let me put it frankly, okay? And I'm numbered among you. J.C. Ryle writes, Let us not condemn others as graceless and unconverted because they do not see the path of duty from our standpoint or feel things exactly as we feel them. And then quotes 1 Corinthians 12.4, There are diversities of gifts but the same spirit. The gifts of God's children are not bestowed precisely in the same measure and degree. Some have more of one gift and some have more of another. Some have gifts which shine more in public and some which shine more in private. Some are more bright in a passive life and some are more bright in an active one. Yet each and all the members of God's family in their own way and in their own season bring glory to God. Martha was careful and troubled about much serving when Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. Yet there came a day at Bethany when Mary was crushed and prostrated by overmuch sorrow and Martha's faith shone more brightly than her sister's. Nevertheless, both were loved by our Lord. The one thing needful is to have the grace of the Spirit and to love Christ. Let us love all of whom this can be said, though they may not and uh, though they may not see with our eyes in everything. The church of Christ needs servants of all kinds and instruments of every sort, penknives as well as swords, axes as well as hammers, chisels as well as saws, Martha's as well as Mary's, Peter's as well as John's. Let our ruling maxim be this. From Ephesians 6.24, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. When I look at you and I see your differences, my only question is, and I've learned this from the Lord, and I have to check myself to make sure that this is my only question. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? We look different. 
We speak different. We act different. But do you love the Lord? There's another lesson I see here for us. And it's that the Lord always provides and serves his people. Provides for and serves his people. He always does. We see here Jesus providing a simple meal. It's a simple gesture, and yet it is profound in meaning, I think. And I'm not suggesting there's hidden meaning here. I'm just saying look at it. Look at what Jesus did. He provided a simple meal, prepared over charcoal fire, and he had also prepared bread. It was a common meal. Common meal of that day, one they had seen Jesus miraculously provide before, correct? The feeding is of the 5,000 and the 4,000. And here he is again. This time, he multiplies the fish by pointing them out. and says, bring them in, right? And like us, evidently they needed another reminder that the Lord will provide for his children. Don't you need that reminder from time to time? God will provide for his children. And, and with that, we need to remember, God knows what we need. It's not the Lamborghini, right? Or whatever that is, you know, the, the thing that we would love. Nobody, nobody here wants a Lamborghini. You know what I'm saying. We think we need incredible things. And God says, I know your incredible needs, but that's not it. Evidently, they needed another reminder that the Lord will provide for his children. And Jesus graciously and lovingly gave them the reminder as he provided this simple breakfast for them that morning at the Sea of Galilee while they were fishless. They had fished and fished and had nothing to provide for themselves. I think that's partly why they were out there. Where's Jesus? I don't know. Well, we better go get something to eat. It's Paul again who writes in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How remarkable that Jesus shows concern for their puny daily needs. Right? I mean, breakfast? Yeah. God's concerned about that. I had a... a uh, an occasion recently to think I needed something. And I was about ready to, as I say at home, you want me to pull the trigger on that? I was about ready to pull the trigger and purchase that. I don't know. It's a, it's a cop thing, marine thing. I don't know. I, you know, pull the trigger. I'm going to buy that. And I was about ready to buy that. It wasn't, it wasn't expensive. It was really inexpensive. And I just thought, you know, I don't, I don't really need that. I'm not going to buy that. And two weeks later, God gave it to me. I mean, somebody here gave it to me. And I thought, ha, huh, I almost bought that. It was really inexpensive, something really simple. But it, it teaches me again and again. God cares about those little goofy things that we say, well, that's silly. I never, and I'm not telling you what it is because I don't want to be embarrassed. Okay, but just take my word for it. God provided a something, something silly that we would never tell anybody. I wish I had that or I need that, you know. Breakfast. He cares about that. He cares about our simple needs. And how remarkable that he shows concern for their daily needs. He gives them this living illustration of his, and, and let's not miss this, of his love for them. You know, sometimes, and, and don't misunderstand, 
the real needs in people's lives is their need of a Savior, correct? But sometimes they have physical needs that they cannot see past. And God may want you to help meet that physical need so that the doors are open for you to share about their their eternal need. Don't overlook people's needs because Jesus cares. We too ought to care, yes? Jesus Christ provided for their eternal needs, didn't he? He could have said, look, I'm not getting anything else for you. I already died on the cross. I rose from the dead. What else do you want? I mean, what else could you want? But he comes back and he shows himself to them and he gives them a simple meal. He serves them. It's not the first time he served them either. Remember when he washed their feet? Hello, guys. <laughs> Matthew twenty twenty eight. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus Christ provides for the greatest need mankind will ever have. And it's dealing with his own sin, something we cannot do in and of ourselves. We must trust Christ for forgiveness of sins. He forgives completely. We must trust him. And yet he's also concerned about our daily needs. You must trust him in those also. Yes, work, because God made you to work. If you have health and strength, work. Provide for your families, yes. But trust God. Trust him to provide for your needs. You may not know how that need is going to be met. Seek God's wisdom. Know his word. Obey the truths from his word. Trust him in all things. He cares about your needs. And so Jesus still serves and still provides for his disciples today. If you're not a follower of Christ, I invite you to turn to Jesus in faith today. Can I encourage you, if you don't know Christ, as we bow our heads in just a moment, would you bow your head and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to save you? And he will. And may each of his disciples today serve him faithfully, knowing he intends to use your life for his glory. As you live with gratitude and joy and Joy in the diversity of God's people. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we trust His faithful provision for our daily needs, trust Him, serve Him faithfully with His strength. Honor the Lord by your obedience. Jesus graciously teaches us these lessons again and again, and we've seen it throughout this gospel, haven't we? Jesus graciously teaches us what we need to know. I need to know, I need to know these things. I think we all need to know these things. Trust him. Obey him. Honor him. Find joy in the diversity of his people. Trust him. And know that without him, you could do nothing. 